So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to Jesus, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this promise that Jesus makes that he is the bread of life, that he is that which truly satisfies. And Lord, I pray that, that I and all of us would hear your exhortation that we would not labor for food that does not satisfy, but that we would receive you, Lord Jesus, truly as the bread of life. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Right in the middle of our psalm, there's a question that the people ask God. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Can God set a table in the wilderness? We know from the psalm that the question was asked from a place of cynical grumbling, and the implied answer from them is no. God can't do that. He can't set a table in the wilderness. And yet, in John chapter 6, we are invited back to that place of the wilderness as we were in Exodus 12, or 16, and as we are in our psalm, John 6 brings us back to that place and draws again to mind this question, can God actually satisfy us? And also in these verses from John chapter 6, I hear Jesus countering with his own question, a question that we could take from the book of Isaiah chapter 55 verse 2, where God asks his people this question, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? So I want you to keep those two questions in mind. The people asking God, can you set a table in the wilderness? And God asking his people, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? If we have those questions in mind, we see that our gospel passage tonight is about a whole lot more than bread. It's about desire, it's about satisfaction, and it's about what the human heart really and truly longs for. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon about talent, our talent for God, and I asked you a question. What is it that God wants from us? And the, the spoiler alert trailer version is that God wants everything. 
He calls us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And we could say that this week, it's us asking a different question, but a related question, which is, what do we want? What are we really after? What is it that we desire? What is it that we think will satisfy us? What is it that we think will make us no longer hunger or no longer thirst? What do we want? And the spoiler to that question is, we want everything too. The human heart is actually insatiable. And there's a dark side to that and there's a light side to that. The light side to that is that's how, that's how we were created. We were created to long for eternal things, for eternity. The book of Ecclesiastes helps us understand this. That the preacher, this Solomon character, tells us that he tried everything. All the riches, all the honors, all the pleasures, everything that he could possibly imagine wanting or longing for, or to put it in more Texan-like terms, he had all the girls, all the gold, and all the guns he could ever want or dream of. And yet at the end of it, he says all of that is chasing after the wind, that it's vain. Why? This little verse tucked in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and God has put eternity into the heart of human beings. Yet, that he cannot, human beings cannot seek out what God has done from the beginning and the end. We have eternity in our hearts, and we live in a non-eternal world. So this world cannot ultimately satisfy the longing of the human heart. If we have eternity in our hearts, then only the eternal, only God can truly satisfy us. And the Christian tradition has always witnessed to and testified to the reality and the depth of our desire. Most famously, perhaps, St. Augustine, in the opening of his confessions, said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are searching, we are restlessly searching for things to fill us, to satisfy us, and only God can satisfy that longing. So this is a profound strand throughout the Christian tradition from Augustine through Thomas Aquinas and to our old friend C.S. Lewis, who said this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And not just for another world, but for God himself. So the themes of desire, the theme of appetite, the theme of longing, these are all in play in John chapter 6. And we're going to spend this week and the next two weeks on John chapter 6. So this is sort of the warm-up. This is the background. This is thinking about what is this conversation actually about. It's not a conversation ultimately about bread, but about human longing, about desire, about that which truly satisfies. And I mentioned before that desire has a light side and it has a dark side. It's like the force, I guess, in that way, but not really. The light side of desire speaks to what it is to be truly human, that we have eternity in our hearts, that we have longings, we have desires. It speaks, the light side of desire speaks to the goodness of creation, that God gives us his good world, says go, fill it, subdue it, be fruitful, multiply, enjoy what I've made, lift it back up to me in worship. And the goodness of creation and the eternity that's with, 
in our hearts is a reminder that desire is not bad in and of itself. See, there's this undercurrent in the Christian tradition where we get this wrong and we think that desire itself is the problem and we become like functional Buddhists and try to get rid of desire. But the best of the Christian tradition has said, no, it's not about getting rid of desire, it's about properly directing and ordering desire to that which, the one whom can truly satisfy us. But we get this wrong all the time, and that's the dark side of desire. Because of the sin of our first parents, which was a sin of desire, that she saw that the fruit was good, that it was good to eat, that it was pleasurable to look at, what the New Testament says was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Because that's how our parents, our first parents, interacted with that tree, we are prone to look at the goods of the world and interact with the goods of the world in a broken way, to take them and twist them, to want them instead of the Creator. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, is that we desire the creation rather than the creator. So there is a dark side to desire. And because there's a dark side to desire, we pursue lesser things. We pursue proximate goods. What that means is something that we think will satisfy us, but it's actually about something else. This is what our uh, friend Thomas Aquinas talks about related to human happiness. And he says that there are four ways primarily that humans have pursued happiness instead of God. We're not very creative. So this list is going to hit anything that you or I have ever done. Money, honor, power, and pleasure. There's the list. You can mix them together, you can remix them, but really it comes down to pursuing money, honor, power, and pleasure. And I think the mixture of those things is probably why we like mobster movies so much, because that's what they're all about, right? That's what The Godfather is about and all that. All of these things happening simultaneously. Shakespeare knows this, just look at Macbeth, it's about power. Julius Caesar, it's about honor, power, all of it together. Even uh, our golden age of television, all these antiheroes, it's about the same thing from Breaking Bad to succession. Money, power, pleasure, honor. We're pursuing the same things over and over and over and over again, thinking that they will satisfy us, and they don't ultimately satisfy us. Even though they're part of God's good creation, even though there's a proper way to enjoy all of those things. We do it in the wrong way, to the wrong level, for the wrong reasons. And just as in those television shows, and Shakespeare's plays, and any tragic story you can think about, there are often fatal consequences to pursuing these things as ends in themselves, as if the point of life is to get as much money as possible as if the point of life is to get as much honor or reputation as possible, as if the point of life is to get as much power as possible or pleasure. So there's a dark side and a light side to desire. Okay, so great, that's fine. What does this have to do with John chapter 6? I draw you again to that question from Isaiah 55. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for what that which does not satisfy? Why are you pursuing the things that cannot fill the eternal hole in your heart? And so Jesus interacting with these people at this time and saying to us through these words as we're present together to hear his words says, I am real bread. 
I am true food. I am what truly satisfies. In our passage, look at verse 27. Jesus takes that question and he turns it into a statement and he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. When we jump into the passage at this point, there's 26 verses beforehand, God had, or Jesus had multiplied the bread and he fed the crowd. And they liked it so much that they wanted to make him the king and he disappeared because he's not gonna do it on their terms. And then he goes and crosses the sea. We have that interlude where Jesus walks on water. And then the people are like, hey, where was that guy who gave us the bread? Let's go find him. And they go across the, wa- the water. They seek him out, and they're like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing here? And he's like, you're after some more bread. And what I hear in verse 27 when he says, do not work for the food that perishes, is, hey, you guys are working awfully hard for bread. So let's have a conversation about what you're really after. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him that God the Father has set his seal. Jesus, the crescendo of the passage, he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is saying to them, you are working very hard for this other kind of food. So let's talk about real food. You're crossing the sea, you're seeking me out. Why not ask for that which will truly satisfy? And he says that he is in fact what they're looking for. And I want you to look at their response to when Jesus says, hey, there's bread that will truly satisfy. Verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God. This is the question we always ask. Okay, what do I got to do? I'm going to put it on me. What must I do? What must I do? Jesus has been talking about himself, but the crowd, we turn it on ourselves. What must I do? And the thing about true provision, the thing about that which truly satisfies is that we can't work for it, we can only receive it. We can't manipulate it, we can't manufacture it, we can only receive it by faith. And when we, in communion, and we're gonna talk about this in the weeks to come, that this is a communion passage, this is a Eucharist passage. When we come to communion, I've said this before, this posture is the posture of a beggar. When we hold our hands out like this and we receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, we are saying in effect, you have what I need and I cannot give it to myself. I cannot manufacture it, I cannot manipulate it, I cannot make it, I must receive it. But we want to go back to this question, we wanna go back to what must I do? What must I do? And Jesus says, no, receive. This takes us all the way back to John chapter one, verse 12 where it says all who did receive him, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not by what they did, not by what they could do, not by what they might do, but because God in his grace said, receive. They believed 
and then they received. There's a lot of questions going on in this passage. That's one of their questions. What must I do? And then their next question is truly incredulous. What sign do you do to show us that you really are what you say you are? These people have just been fed in the wilderness the multiplication of bread. They've heard of Jesus' reputations. They've heard of the signs that he's done. What sign do you do now, Jesus? The text is clear in the earlier verses of John chapter 6 that they see Jesus as a Moses figure even before they start talking about bread and man and all that sort of thing because they call him the prophet, which goes back to Deuteronomy and this expectation that God would raise up a prophet like Moses. So they're saying, can you do some Moses stuff for us just to prove again that you are who you say you are? What sign can you do? And we're back in the wilderness again. We're back to Exodus 16. Oh my goodness, it'd be so much better if we were still slaves in Egypt. Yeah, you gave us some water from a rock, but can you feed us? There's a lot of people here, God. Can you set a table in the wilderness? What sign are you going to do? And my favorite part of their response, and I just think it's just an utter stroke of thick-headed brilliance, is that they quote Scripture to Jesus, which is fantastic. Verse 31, our fathers ate man in the wilderness as it is written. We know Scripture, Jesus. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Why don't you give us some bread to eat? You did it before. Why don't you do it again? What does Jesus say to the question, what sign do you give? He says, I'm the sign. I am. Because I'm the bread. It wasn't Moses who fed you. It was the Lord. And the Lord has sent the true bread into the world, me, to feed you and satisfy you now. I am the one who gives life to the world. I am the bread. I am true bread. I am true provision. I am the one who brings fullness of life. I'm the one who brings true satisfaction. Again, I'm reminded of the opening of John's gospel. John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. From his fullness, Jesus, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace ad infinitum. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We have this Moses-Jesus dynamic again hey, Moses did this. Can you do some Moses stuff? No. I can do you one better because I'm the bread. I'm the bread. I'm the fullness. I'm the one who brings grace upon grace. Jesus is the evermore. Jesus is the always more. He is the grace multiplying grace, the grace bringer, the truth bringer, the one who brings God in his very person. The next verse goes on to say, no one has seen God, but we have seen God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the fullness. If the human heart longs to be filled with what is eternal, then eternity takes on human flesh to show us the face of God, to show us what it is that we truly long for, what we truly hunger for. The Word incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. Last week, Dave talked about the presence of God. We have have to have the presence of God with us. Back in the Exodus story, when things are going very badly, God wants to just start over. 
And one of the plans is, well, I'll just send you into the land with my angel. And Moses says, there's no reason to take the promise if your presence doesn't come with us. The presence is what matters. This week, we could say, is about provision. How does God provide for our true longings? And the incarnation tells us that God's presence is his provision. (laughs) That God with us, Emmanuel, the word become flesh dwelling among us, is God's provision for us, his presence with us. And if that is true, then we hear the question again, why do we spend money for that which is not bread? And why do we labor for that which does not satisfy? That's what it comes down to. If Jesus is who he says it is, why, why do we not live as if that's true? Well, part of it is because we, there's still this dark side of desire that we're working out. That if we're walking in the light, then we're trying to be honest about those things in our hearts. That we're trying to be honest about the ways in which honor, money, pleasure, power, captivate us. They draw us in different ways, but they all draw us. And power could even just be about control. Not, I want to run a Fortune 500 company. Not, I want to be so rich that I can launch myself into space. To pick a random example. That's power and money. Oh, man. Right? I'm going to space in a cowboy hat. Um, We mix them together, and it doesn't always look like, well, I I don't want the C-suite, so power doesn't matter to me, but am I trying to control my circumstances? Am I trying to control people in my relationships? Then maybe power is a way, something that I'm pursuing. Well, I'm not really into money, okay, but are you looking for the stuff of the world to satisfy your heart? Are you looking for pleasure to satisfy your heart? Honor, that's just reputation, And reputation takes maybe different form in our culture. It has to do with credentialing or whatever it has to do with, about who knows your name, about how many followers you have. There's all sorts of ways to construe honor. And we pursue those things because there is a dark side to desire. So I would ask you that question. In the context of your relationships, in the context of Christian community, in the context of following Jesus, Can you be honest with yourself? Can I be honest with myself about where I'm most likely to get tripped up with honor, pleasure, power, money? Where am I looking to those things as a substitute for God? How am I weaving them together? How am I maybe trying to bring God alongside of me to help me get those things instead of enjoying those things as a means of worshiping him? So the first question I would ask is, have you contended with the dark side of desire? But I actually think the other side is probably more of an issue for most of us, which is, have we accepted that there's a light side to desire? That the eternity in our hearts and human longing is actually something that's good. And that restlessness that pulls us towards God is good. That we were made that way, to desire him, to be fulfilled by him. Some of us are so terrified by the dark side of desire that we will never admit the light side. 
and we'll live as if this isn't a good world given to us by a good creator meant to be lifted back up to him in worship and praise and thanksgiving. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the goods of creation. Therefore, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's, therefore, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with taking the goods of creation, his resources, and making more and more and more. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with those things. But sometimes I think we've been taught that desire is so bad and we're going to get slipped into the dark side so easily and so quickly that we can't even acknowledge that desire is good. The desire directed towards God is what we were made for. So, like I said before, we become functional Buddhists and we think that the point of the faith is to eliminate desire, just to wipe it out. There's a wonderful book that's a meditation on the Lord's Prayer by Jen Pollock called Teach Us to Want, Longing, Ambition, and the Life of Faith. And she, she wrestles with this question because many of us have been sort of taught of sort of a dark Puritanism where we're not allowed to want anything. And in fact, we'll choose what we don't want because that must be what God wants for me because it can't be something that I want. So I'm gonna give you another question. And I'm going to ask, have you ever dared to ask yourself, in the context of Christian worship and Christian community and walking with the Lord, have you ever dared to ask yourself, what do I really want? And believe that God actually cares about that question. I wrestle with this all the time. So I'll just confess, right? I'm the guy that's going to choose the hard thing because that must be, because this is deceptive and I can't trust it. Well, there's a grain of truth in that. But if he's taken out my heart of flesh and my heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh, if he's given me his Holy Spirit, if he's given me the people of God to build me up, to walk alongside with me, then maybe what I want is actually an important question to ask. And maybe it's an important question for you to ask. What do I want? Get in touch with desire. I think the great danger for us now is not that there's too much desire, but there's just, a, there's just an IV drop of it. And we just get a little bit of it. We get a little dopamine hits all day, scrolling. Just get a little bit of pleasure from this, a little bit of recognition from this, and it's just enough to keep us humming along. And we never ask the deeper question, which is what do I really want? And am I really satisfied? And am I going after what truly satisfies? I'm just going to blow through my C.S. Lewis quote, quote, quota for the whole year, okay? Because this is too important. On this question, this is what C.S. Lewis says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because we cannot imagine what is meant by the author of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. If that was true in the middle of the 20th century, how much more is it true in the beginning of the 21st century? We have so much to distract us, so many half-hearted pleasures to satisfy or think that it satisfies us half-hearted creatures. And the reason that I paired all these questions together is they have to go together. So if we are going to ask ourselves what I really want, and I, in the context of prayer, I encourage you to ask that question. What do I really want? 
It can be a means by which God shows the ways in which we settle for things that are not him, but it can also show the ways in which maybe he's pulling us towards knowing him, being satisfied by him and in him in a truly different way. So we pair that question, what do I really want, with Jesus' question, why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? This month of August is our last month worshiping here on Sunday night at Central Lutheran. First Sunday in September, we'll be worshiping at Redeemer Bible Church at 9 a.m., a quarter mile down the road. We've wanted this for six years. We've wanted Sunday worship on for six years, morning worship. So we're a little bit like the, got, the dog that has caught the car. Now what? <laughs> this is something that we've wanted because we believed that it will establish us in a way that worshiping on Sunday night doesn't. This has been awesome. I love this place. I love the nature. I love that we can see the rain. I love the light, all of that. But now we're kind of getting this one thing that we want is a community. And I want to dare to ask, well, what else does God have for us in that new place? It's not just about getting in the building. It's what does God want for us there, and what do we want as a community? How do we want to use the opportunity to be in a better location with more exposure, more people are going to know about us, more people are going to want to come because Sunday morning is just default mode for people. So in the same way that I would ask you as an individual to ask God, (laughs) what do I really want? I would also ask us to pray together as a community to say, what does God want for us as the people of St. Bart's? And how does he want to satisfy us and the people of East Dallas as we are an outpost of the gospel and his kingdom in our new location at our new time? Maybe that question, what do I really want, seems commonplace to you, but if it kind of got on your skin that I even said it, then you're the one that needs to go ask it. (laughs) And if I were sitting in your pew, I'd be that guy too. So just by my own confession. Teach us to want. Well, what are we supposed to want? How are we supposed to want it? How, God, can you satisfy the longing of the human heart? These questions will accompany us over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at the rest of John chapter 6 together. But for now, I just would leave you with those two questions. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Well, Jesus' answer is, I am the answer to that question. I have set a table in the wilderness. I've set a table in the presence of your enemies, and your cup is overrunning, as Psalm 23 says. But then the next question, will we let Jesus honestly ask us, why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for this uh, beautiful, calm, somewhat cool night. And I do thank you for your word and just on my own, in my own life, the way that it challenges me and brings me to ask things about myself and my life and my desires that I wouldn't otherwise. And I pray that this passage and our time together would be the same for everyone here, that you, Holy Spirit, would impress upon our hearts the question of desire, the ways in which maybe those things have gone astray in our hearts. And Lord, we ask for the grace and the honesty with ourselves to confess those, to repent of those things. But perhaps even deeper, and maybe for most of us, is the question of what do we really want? 
And we know the answer is you, but there's a lot of steps between here and there. So we need you to lead us, especially as we as a community move and we seek to see what it is that you have for us and what you want for us in this next season. Bless us, Lord, as we continue in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.